The FT. NATO allies have welcomed Turkey's decision to step up its fight against ISIS, but its decision to include Kurdish opponents as the target of its air attacks is causing some concern, given that Kurdish fighters have been some of the most successful in keeping ISIS forces at bay in Iraq and Syria. So, what exactly is Turkey's strategy? I'm Shona Jenkins. Joining me on the line to discuss this is Alex Barker, our European diplomatic editor, and here in the studio, Daniel Dombey, our former Istanbul correspondent. Daniel, the bombing of a group of activists in southeastern Turkey last week prompted a change in Istanbul's stance in its fight against ISIS, or at least a renewed push. How has this affected its battle against the group? Turkey has had real reservations about taking the fight to ISIS until now, and for a number of reasons. One of them is that, as many Turks say, they are the country that is most exposed to ISIS. They are the NATO state that has a border with ISIS. If you take on ISIS, you are more liable to be hit back at than almost any other country. Another is that ISIS enemies, in many ways, are Turkey's enemies. Bashar al-Assad in Syria to a certain extent, but very definitely Kurds in Syria, that Turkey doesn't really want to see establish a quasi-state of their own. So for many reasons, Turkey has been reticent about taking on ISIS. That, however, really wasn't a tenable position. The pressure from the US, the pressure from Turkey's other partners, and increasingly its own sense of national security and domestic safety and national self-interest have pointed in a different direction. So this year, we've seen more arrests of ISIS-related people. We've seen more interdictions at the border. That all obviously accelerated after the awful tragedy of last week, after the death of 32 Turkish citizens unequivocally at the hand of ISIS. No state could just sit back and be passive. There have been some strikes by Turkish aircraft on ISIS, but there have been many more on the Kurdish Workers' Party, which is a group that Turkey has been battling against for decades. And many people or many analysts have said that this may well be the real battle that Turkey is trying to wage. Is this, do you think, fair or true? I'd like to begin by just giving a sense of the scope and importance of this issue. Forty thousand people have died over three decades in this battle between the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK, and Turkey. There had been a peace process, there had been a ceasefire in place for about two and a half years. That now is unequivocally broken. As you said, there have been dozens of sorties against the PKK in recent days, compared to only a handful of sorties against ISIS. There is a real question. About whether this is going to see a full explosion of this terrible conflict once again, Alex. NATO ambassadors met in Brussels this week, and while they threw their weight behind Turkey, did you get a sense that there was any unease about the fact that they had also used this, perhaps we could say, as an excuse to hit their long-standing Kurdish enemy? We have to remember these kind of requests for a special meeting, for a special consultation at NATO, are quite rare. And in this situation, where Turkey had faced attacks both from ISIS supporters and from the PKK, it was clear that when they took this to NATO, there was going to be a public show of solidarity and support. And they found that in a statement that pledged to, to、uh, join forces in the fight against terrorism. But in that discussion behind the scenes, in private, it was clear there was a European consensus 
over urging Turkey to show proportionality in its attacks on the PKK in particular, and also, if possible, to do everything to avoid the peace process from collapsing entirely. Dan, why do you think the Turkish government is willing to risk so much at this particular moment? We're in an extraordinary situation right now in Turkey. We have had a very large-scale murder by ISIS. We've had growing tensions with the PKK. Any government would respond to those. But we are also in an extremely strange state of flux within Turkey itself. The ruling party failed to get a majority in elections in June. The president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, probably has his eye on new elections because if a coalition government is formed, he could well be pushed out of the picture. One of the possible consequences of a heightened confrontation now that we're seeing is that the Kurdish party, whose relative success in the June election deprived Mr Erdogan of a majority he sought, could well be suffering as a result of these events of the last few days. Nationalist politicians in Turkey are calling for it to be shut down. Mr Erdogan himself has suggested that its MPs should be stripped of their immunity from prosecution. If there is a revote in November, it's perfectly possible that this party will find it very difficult to sustain the support that keeps Mr Erdogan's own forces from getting a majority. I'm not saying that's a rationale for his actions, but it's very clearly an important political consideration, an important political calculation that people are considering. Alex, the US has allied itself with Kurdish fighters in Syria who have proved themselves to be the most effective force pushing back against ISIS. The attacks by Turkey on their Kurdish enemies has put the US in a very awkward position. Can you comment on that? I just want to start by looking at Injilik, which has really been a bellwether for Turkish-American relations for decades. When Turkey and America fell out over Turkey's invasion of Cyprus, the pawn was the use of Injilik airbase. When Turkey and America were at odds over the invasion of Iraq in 2003, the Turks withdrew permission to use Injilik and forced the Americans to completely rewrite their war plans for Iraq. And here we've seen Injilik find put back onto the front lines of an offensive campaign for the first time in decades. And that agreement, in as much, had to overcome a lot of Turkish reservations and address some priorities. Now, how it has done that and the detail of that is still somewhat unclear and is unfolding. But the outlines of what has been agreed appear to be that the U.S., will refrain from strong support for the Kurdish Syrian fighters and the Turks and the Americans will launch airstrikes to clear an ISIS-free area and that vacuum, if the airstrikes are effective in driving out ISIS, would be filled with more pro-Turkish, Sunni, moderate rebels. Who exactly they are, we're yet to know. Now, what the response of the allies of the Americans will be, the Kurdish-Syrian fighters, how they would feel about an attempt to control that border area and really create a kind of a buffer zone that not only pushes out ISIS, but also, in effect, blocks 
the efforts of Kurdish fighters to create a continuous belt of Kurdish control on the other side of the Turkish border. How that plays into the Syria conflict is very much an open question. Thanks, Alex and Daniel. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might like our new show, FT Investigations, Exposés and In-Depth Analysis by our worldwide network of reporters. You can download it at ft.com slash podcasts.